Our sermon text is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. You can find that on page 984 of your sanctuary Bible. As I said before, this is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I'd like to give a little introduction before we go to our reading. Um, I want to put this in context with what is coming before it in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25 is spoken by Jesus just a few days before the Last Supper. So in the middle of the week in which he goes up to Jerusalem to die. And he is uh, in a stage of his ministry where, actually his whole ministry is like this, but particularly this week, he is pulling no punches. He is uh, laying it all out there. He's really got nothing to lose, and he's going to go to the cross. And so he, he starts to lay down some hard words. Matthew 25 has some difficult other parables in it that precede it. The first one is the parable of the ten virgins. It's a, it's a parable about being prepared. It's a parable about readiness for the coming of the king. And those who are not found ready will be left outside in the darkness. That's sort of that, that parable. It's also preceded by the, what we call the parable of the talents. And we remember this parable. In fact, this is a very important parable for this time in our uh, life together as a church. It's part of our Veritas work. It's kind of built into the Veritas idea is that um, every church, every person has been given a set of gifts, a set of resources to do what the master asks them to do with. And the master goes away and they need to be prepared for when the master comes back because the master asks for an accounting of what has been done with those gifts. And uh, we find that one who had 10 got uh, 10 more, one who got five got five more, and one who got one didn't even take it to the bank to get interest, but buried it in the ground. And it was because he thought the master wasn't a risk taker. It was because he thought the master was unjust. And that, that servant had even that one talent taken away, and it was given to the one who had more. And so there's this sense of uh, preparedness. There's a sense of being faithful with what you've been entrusted with. And then Jesus tops off this chapter with this parable about hospitality, but it's more than hospitality. It's a parable about him coming in the future to reign and to judge the world. And uh, one way of looking at this parable, and I encourage you to look at it this way partly, is this is another form of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's similar in one aspect to the parable of the Good Samaritan because that parable, if you remember, the parable of the Good Samaritan was prompted by somebody saying, well, and hoping to justify themselves that they had helped their neighbor, said, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. So in this case, we might look at it through that lens. But it's also about hospitality, as I mentioned. And I want to tell you something a little bit about hospitality as well, just to continue to prepare us for this reading uh, there was a, another rabbi, um, not at, quite at the same time as Jesus. His name was Rabbi Abba Arika. And he had a midrash, which is sort of an interpretation of the text of the Bible. He wrote that hospitality to wayfarers, so somebody on the road, strangers, hospitality to wayfarers is greater than welcoming the presence of the Shekinah. The Shekinah is the presence of God himself. Isn't that interesting? That's how highly this culture prized hospitality. Hospitality to a wayfarer is greater than welcoming the presence of the Shekinah, the divine presence. So this is a parable about hospitality. It's about the presence of Christ among us. And also, in, in this case, this is a parable about what people did or didn't 
do. But we're going to have to qualify that later about what they did or didn't do, and we'll look at that. So with that introduction, uh, what is probably a familiar parable to you, the parable of the sheep and goats, Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes? And clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil. And his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you? hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you. He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at this parable, maybe take it apart just a tad before we kind of plow into what it might mean for us as a church, what it might mean for us as individuals. One question that's great to ask about parables is, who's the audience? Who is this intended for? Who uh, are these people that this is happening for? And uh, I want to go through a few choices here. And this is, some of them are quite interesting. One is, um, and this is maybe an older thought, that the, the sheep and the goats are not the Christians, but the world around the Christians in the time of the early church. Because the early church was persecuted, and it was hungry, and it was cold, and it was in prison a lot, and it was naked, and it was afraid, 
And this was a judgment on how the world was treating Christians in their midst. And so in a sense, this was a word of hope to the Christian community, to the early church, that God would bring them vindication for their troubles. I like it. I like it. I don't think this is quite, that's quite right, the, interpreta- the right interpretation, but it's an interesting one. It's a little footnote in history. Um, Another view of the audience is that the sheep and the goats are all people on the earth. Every living human soul are going to be called to account for what they have done or have not done, for whether they've recognized or ministered to Christ by ministering to strangers or not. And then still others is that this is mostly to the faithful. This is the audience of this parable is the Christians. The Christians are confused about whether or not they've actually done what Jesus has asked them to do, and this is going to help clarify it for them. They think they're sheep, but they don't know they're goats, some of them at least. So there's a bit of confusion there. Um, I'll, I'll leave it to all of you to pick your own audience for this parable. I think it's fascinating. Um, but the other background I think that's important to look at is, again, it's context. It's with two other parables, the parable of the ten virgins about uh, preparation, the parable of the talents about being faithful with what God has entrusted people with. And this parable comes... Um, is a sort of a future, again, a future thing. The bridegroom comes. The, the master comes. And finally, it kind of accelerates. In the end, the king will come. The son of man comes in his glory. And all the angels with him, all the angels, this is a big, you know, the whole heavenly host will arrive with the son of man, who's Jesus. And there it says he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. This throne is a place of authority. It's a place of judgments. It's where he makes decisions. And that's exactly what he does. He begins to divide the, all the people that are arrayed before him into two groups. It's interesting. It doesn't talk about a third group. You know, it doesn't talk about a fifth group, a fourth group. It's, it's just two. And they're sort of labeled sheep and goats. And in the ancient Near East, sheeps were the more um, honorable animal, partly because of how they reproduced. They were more monogamous. They were more faithful to their mates. Goats, for, goats don't mate that way. It's just animal husbandry is kind of basic stuff. It's still true. And so goats were considered a less honorable animal. But it, when they were hungry, it didn't matter to them. They would, eat, they would eat either one of them. You know, It would take milk from either one of them. But to call somebody a goat in the ancient world was a, a, an insult. To call them a sheep was probably an insult too, but less so. You know, they, um, there was more honor with the, the sheep. And so this is a, a parable that has some agricultural parts to it, but not, not a whole lot. Just that the ones who are chosen for eternal life are likened to sheep. And the ones that are destined to what, is, what it says here is to um, a place of fire that's been prepared for the devil and all his, all his demons, they are the goats. And, and so it's a shorthand, the sheep and the goats. Um, Jesus is setting himself up here, and this is right that he does so, because he's on this throne, that he's uniquely able to judge the world because he knows everything about everyone. And he's ultimately a fair person. I I really don't want anyone else in the entire world to judge me except for Jesus um, because he knows everything about me. And he's also both just and merciful at the same time. I think that's a word of comfort for us, but also a word of warning. 
that we have a just and merciful judge in our Lord Jesus Christ. Who, and he has this authority given to him by the Father to come and to do this division work. Um, and, and I pray uh, that I'll be more sheepish than goatish on that day, right? But that's not a spectrum, right? It's, it's one camp or the other, at least in this parable, okay? So, um, here's a little bit of what's happening. The king is actually interested in what we would call outward hospitality. Jesus kind of calls people to account for how they practice hospitality in their time. He says, if you love your family, if you love your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your closest neighbors, that's really no credit to you. What is a credit to you is if you love the stranger, if you love the foreigner, if you love the widow, if you love the orphan, if you love somebody who is not at home in your land. That's the person that our hospitality is truly geared towards. It's not really hospitality if you invite your brother to your house. Uh, That's just more like family. That's just more like assumed. It's not much of a sacrifice for you to do so. I don't know your brother. If your brother, it might be a big sacrifice to invite your brother to your house or your sister. I don't know. That's that's in your family. Um, Leave it there. But outward hospitality is sacrificial hospitality geared towards those who are in need, those who are vulnerable in society, those who are in need of the care of God, those who are in need of physical care. And so the sheep are the ones who had shown outward hospitality, but the goats had not. Now, it's interesting. Both are given an an opportunity to defend themselves. This is like a courtroom. The judge passes sentence, and then there's a chance to rebut. The the evidence is presented. There's a time for a cross-examination or counter-presentation of evidence. And so the goats say, in effect, "Uh, we we had no idea, Lord. Uh, We would have helped you. If we knew it was you, of course we would have helped you. And this is where Jesus takes that saying from Rabbi Abba Arika to the next level, where he had said to welcome the stranger is greater than welcoming the presence or the Shekinah. Jesus says to welcome the stranger is the same as welcoming the divine presence. When you help a stranger, you are helping me. Jesus is embodied in all those people that you did not help. And when you did not help them, you did not help me. So you never help the strangers, and you never help me. And the penalty for that is eternal fire. Um, It's interesting that the sheep also defend themselves, although they really have nothing to defend. They just kind of are looking for information. It's a way of defending themselves. They say, Lord, uh, when did we do this for you? It's the same thing. When did we do this for you? It's interesting that the sheep have no knowledge of what they've done. Uh, And in fact, this is the the hinge or the key to the entire parable. I'm going to say this again, that the sheep did not know that they were blessing the Lord with their hospitality. This is the key to the whole parable right here. This is the, the part at which everything revolves. They had to be told the same thing. That when they welcomed, and they did, when they had welcomed strangers, they had been welcoming the divine presence. And so Jesus says, when you helped a stranger, you helped me. I was that person. I was embodied in that other person's life. So when you help strangers, you helped me. And your reward is eternal life. 
So again, the key is that they did not know that they were doing it. I'm so glad that that's in there. This would be a very different parable if the sheep said, yeah, we know. Yeah, we, we planned it that way. We, we, knew where, you know, we knew where this was going. We, we had this list. Uh, hungry, uh, naked, poor, in prison, sick. We, we had a five-fold ministry plan, and we made absolutely certain that we checked each one of those off, and so we are not at all surprised to be where we are right now. But that's not how the parable goes. The sheep are just as dumbfounded as the goats. Lord, when, when did we do this? I have no recollection of helping you in that way. And Jesus has to explain it. You helped these other people. When you did so, you helped me. You didn't know it. The Bible is full of these kinds of sort of hidden things. You know, this, this idea of entertaining angels unaware. What a blessing that is. You never know when you're going to meet this person who's actually the embodiment of God that you're going to bless with your care, with your hospitality, with your concern, with your sacrificial life. I tell you, and I, I mentioned this before, this parable used to terrify me. As a kid, you, you, know, you read the Bible and a little bit of knowledge is pretty dangerous and you can read the Bible and you go, oh, am I going to be a goat? Am I going to be a goat someday? This is not going to be a good day for me because I would look at that list. I had, as a kid, I had never visited anyone in prison. And let me tell you, visiting people in prison is not a picnic. I, I would never do it unless um, something pushed me to doing it. It's not a great place. It's a horrible place. It's a place of despair. I, I, you know, except for a war-torn area, I can't think of a worse place on the earth than, than prison. So much hopelessness there. There's a heavy spirit. It's oppressive. You feel it everywhere. It's, it's horrible. Um, some of us are not particularly fond of being around sick people. And that's obviously, it's an obvious reason why. It's not easy to do. Um, we we generally don't like being around naked people. Now, they're not naked, but underclothed. We don't like giving out of what we have to take care of other people. It takes something big to move us to do those things. What I've learned now is that this parable need not terrify me anymore, and it doesn't terrify me anymore. And on one level, it doesn't matter because I'll never know until I get there if I've been a sheep or a goat, and I'll never know if I've been ignoring Jesus or helping Jesus. I'll be just as surprised on that day. Lord, did I really help you? Did I really help you? Well, praise the Lord. You know, thank you for telling me now. I'm glad you told me. Um, but here's how I believe this parable can function for me, for you, for us. That this is a warning. This isn't that you should have a five-fold ministry to help these people, although you could and you should, and on a lot of levels you should. But it's that you, that you have to be ready for the coming of the Lord. You have to give a good account to what you've been entrusted with. And you have to be open to the leading of the Spirit so you can bless Christ without knowing it. I'm going to say that again. You have to be open enough to the Spirit so that you can bless Christ without knowing it. Does that sound a little funny? I'm going to say it one more time just because it sounds so crazy. You have to be open enough to the Spirit so that you can bless Christ without knowing it. I love it. That's great. Because when I bless others out of what Christ has made in me, what Christ has transformed in me, out of the, 
availability that I bring to God. He moves me to do things that I can't stand doing, like going to prison. He moves me to love. He moves me to care. He moves me to see in a stranger the face of Christ. And he does this without my knowledge a lot of the time, which is wonderful because then I don't have to get caught up on keeping track. Because if I were to start keeping track of all the times that I knew that Christ had worked through me to help somebody else, before long I would start comparing my list to yours. And it would get ugly really fast for all of us. God has this grace for us that he keeps us ignorant about the great things that we do in his name and they'll be revealed to us on a beautiful day in the future. But for now, all I can bring to God is my availability and my desire to listen to what the Spirit will do. Here's the other thing, is that I know I fail at this. I know I look a lot more like a goat on paper than I look like a sheep in my own mind. And that failure to live up to what God calls me to then drives me to the cross right here in repentance on my knees begging God for forgiveness for my broken life. And at that point, that's the only place where I can authentically give my life over to Jesus to cede control, to surrender to him, to hand him the keys, so to speak, and say, I can't do this. I I made a mess of it. Why don't you take over? It's only on our knees in repentance that this takes place and we give ourselves to God and then we're opened up to the work of the Spirit. And then God starts doing in us all these things that are beautiful. And we, again, we start to see other people as totally blessed and loved by God and, and we start to give sacrificially hospitality, the real hospitality. We start practicing it towards them. So this is a, a warning personally, but I think it's a, a warning and an opportunity for our church. And, and I want us to, now I just kind of call you out of the lull of all this biblical study, which is great. Now I want to talk about what this means for us as a church at the corner of Oak and Truman this morning. We're impacted what we're going to do with it right now. Uh, this is a warning and an opportunity to the church. We minister to Christ, okay? If, we, if our ministry is to Christ, We minister when we minister outside the walls of the church because the people inside of here are family. And it's not hospitality if you give it to your brother. Again, depending on your brother. But it's hospitality when we do it outside the walls of this church. That's the hospitality that we're called to, to the stranger, to the orphan, to the widow, to the prisoner. But those those are all code words for the vulnerable among us in our world. Those are code words for those who are without hope and without the Lord. The ministry that's outward from this church is ministry directly to Jesus Christ because Jesus is embodied in those people that we have yet to reach with the gospel. So when we see this list, I would not actually make a ministry of a prison ministry and a homeless ministry. And I mean, those are all good things, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't limit it to that. I would say the ministry outside to the church, the hospitality we want to show outside this church is to people who need God and whom God wants to claim as his own in the way we understand him. The way we do that, evidently, is to come before the Lord in repentance and open ourselves up to his leading in our lives and handing him control over what we do with this church and its facilities and its budget and its decision-making and everything and hand that to the Spirit somehow 
And the Spirit then guides us to see the world as Jesus sees it and to reach the world that embodies who Jesus is out there. And I trust that the Spirit promises to show us where to go and who to reach and where to prioritize the talents that we have in our body so that we can get the return that the Master wants when he comes back. It all kind of flows together, these parables, don't they? So that's what we're going to be doing uh, in just a few minutes is we're actually going to sort of congregate into the aisle. We're going to go to the back of the church and I want to show you that bulletin board that's there that you might be scratching your head at. And then we're going to break into some smaller groups and do some dreaming and discerning together. We're going to ask the Spirit and pray for the Spirit to come and guide us. And like I said, this is just the beginning. This is not a once and for all thing this morning. It's going to happen on an iterative basis. We're going to use this leading from the Spirit. We're going to use this to craft an action plan that is going to go out and do with what we have what God will have us do for the people that God shows us. That's the plan. All I want to do now is end with a prayer of confession. A prayer of confession that this parable puts me in the mind of. And it's a prayer I'm going to pray about me. It's really about me. But if it sounds like you, and it might, pray along with me silently. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm not open to you at all times. I confess that I do not care for those that you put in my path the way you ask me to. I confess that I've squandered my talents and the treasures that you've given me. I confess that I'm not prepared for your return. I confess that I'm a sinner and I'm broken. Father, I kneel at the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. And I humbly ask him to take all my failures. And I give to him control of my life. And I pray we give control to him as a church. That you may work in me to do what you want. And that you guide me in all things. And I pray for the coming of your Holy Spirit to inspire me. And to move me. And to help me love and to help me do things that are difficult for me. And I trust that you will. Amen.